uh, Mark 6, 14 through 29. And you notice that it's bordered by the mission of the disciples. So verses 7 through 13, Jesus sends out the apostles two by two. And in verse 30, they come back with a report. In between, you hear about the beheading of John. John gets his head cut off. And what really becomes clear is, yeah, with the church and the mission of the church to the world, there's a great cost of following Jesus. But we're not here for ourselves, right? What's the great blessing? We belong to Christ. We're here for God. We're here for his glory. That's our calling. And that's where the blessing is. So John is supremely blessed. I know many people would say, well, he's not blessed because his head cut off. But he's supremely blessed because God kept him faithful to the very end. And that is the greatest blessing that you could ever see in a Christian's life. Um, let's read those verses together. John, sorry, Mark 6, 14 through 29. Now King Herod heard of Jesus, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore... These powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. Others said, it is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, Herod? It's not right for you to have your brother's wife. And therefore Herodias held it against John and wanted to kill him. But she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and he heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to the half of my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a plate. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded John in prison, brought his head on a dish and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. You see the theme here? It's a birthday party. Feasting and eating and food and you also see at the same time you read the Gospels, also the Gospel of Mark, what did Jesus come for? He came to restore fellowship with man so that there's communion with God once again. Jesus comes feasting and eating. 
But you know what? Here we see one of Satan's counterfeits. One person puts it this way. What we see here is a feast where saints, where believers are on the menu. You know what a menu is. A menu is what you receive in a restaurant. Say, I want to order this and this. Well, here believers are offered on the menu. A feast where saints are offered on the menu. And King Herod, what does he do? He serves John's head on a dish at his own birthday party. A delicacy for him. That's gruesome, isn't it? Yucky. What a gory detail. Why is it in the Bible? Well, what you should see here is the faithfulness of God to his servant John. John kept the faith, but because God preserved him the faith to the very end. It's so beautiful to see that. But it also shows us that King Herod is the opposite. He's so much the opposite of the greater king, who is Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd who didn't come to kill. He came to lay down his life for the sheep. For Herod, however, Jesus' sheep are simply food that he supplies on his table. Isn't that what we see in the world today? Right? You see the Christians being murdered, persecuted. But you know the good news of the kingdom is spreading. That's, that's what's going on. The victory of Christ, right? His, his victory over sin, death, and hell, and Satan. Satan's angry, and he gets back at the church. He get, and he tries to get back at Christ by getting back at the church and trying to destroy the church. And that's why believers experience great resistance from the world today. Followers of Jesus even lose their heads. Wow, for their faith, that is. And here from Mark 6, 14 to 29, it's just a very simple theme. We see that John the Baptist, the prophet of God, loses his head for the sake of Christ. Wow, that's the real point here. And we see three things here. First thing is, we see Herod's guilty conscience. You see that in verses 14, 15, and 16. And then after that, you see God's probing word. You know what probing is, right? When you probe into a situation, you look into a matter. So you see Herod's guilty conscience. You see Herod as God's probing word in his life. And finally, a beheaded prophet, John himself. So let's look at each one of those points this morning. Verses 14 to 16. What do we see? A guilty conscience. Notice how the passage here in verse 14 begins with a response. A response to the gospel. From Herod himself. King Herod heard. I mean, he's a king. He's a ruler. The word has reached the the official palaces of Galilee. He heard. Who is Herod, anyway? Well, this is not Herod the Great. Remember Herod the Great? He's the one who commanded the slaughter of the little boys at the time of Jesus' birth. But this Herod is his son. So the first Herod is Herod the Great, but this Herod here is Herod Antipas. Or Antipas. I'm not sure how to say that. But he was a ruler over the district of Galilee, the northern province of Israel, and also 
along the Jordan, there's this place called Perea, a district along Perea. So he was the ruler over those areas. But he was sort of like a puppet ruler. He was there on behalf of the Roman uh, emperor as ruler of those areas. But Herod heard. Heard about what? He heard about Jesus. We read in verse 14, For his name has become well known. His name had become well known. That's what it says. Yeah, the name of Christ was really spreading, becoming famous. So, yeah, how is it that the name of Jesus was becoming well known? Well, if we look at verses 7 through 13, what did Jesus do? Jesus wants to spread the message of the kingdom. He sends out the apostles two by two. And he says, you go throughout all of Galilee. And you preach me. You preach the gospel in my name. And they were to confirm their message, the message of the gospel was signs and wonders. Yes, powerful signs confirmed the word, and that was being seen in Jesus' own 12 disciples. You know, and that's how the New Testament church today is making the name of Jesus known throughout all the world um, by spreading the good news of the name of Jesus. Yeah, all believers, all believers are called to do that. It's so much more, so much, so much greater today. But here, the news of Jesus reaches the palace of a worldly king. And when Herod hears of Jesus, he says, John, this is John, this is John. John the Baptist is risen from the dead. And therefore, these powers are at work in him. Yeah, not not Jesus according to him, but he thinks it's John. These powers at work in John. And John the Baptist, who's risen from the dead, he's convinced that Jesus is not Jesus. He's convinced that Jesus is John the Baptist, restored to life. He's convinced that somehow John was, was, was buried in the ground, and then all of a sudden he's restored to life, and he's doing miracles. Why is Herod so convinced that Jesus is John returned, risen from the dead? Well, the answer is because his conscience is guilty. You know, sometimes it happens. A sight, a sound, a smell, a word awakens something in the conscience and it's enlivened. It remembers it haunts us. And that's what happened to Herod here. John had killed him sometime before. But he never was able to deal with his guilt. He never did deal with his guilt. Verse 16. When Herod heard this, he said, this is John. And he adds these three words. Whom I beheaded, he has been raised from the dead. Notice this is said with great emphasis. Whom I beheaded, I, me, myself, that's the real sense there. I, I'm the one. I'm the one that did it. And hearing of Jesus just haunted him. It haunted him because he is guilty. Guilty. And now the Lord Jesus, or sorry, the Lord God through Mark relates the whole story of what happened, how it happened, why it happened. If you go back to Mark chapter 1, there we're introduced to the fact that John was put in prison. It doesn't say anything more. 
when Jesus began his ministry in Galilee, John was put in prison. But now we come to see in Mark chapter 6, it was King Herod. It was Herod who put John in prison. Wow. You know, sometimes the wrong we do, we try to ignore it, don't we? As if it never happened. (laughs) We try to suppress it. We try to bury it. Herod was probably trying to do it all along. Not wanting to deal with his guilt. And when that happens, we don't confess it to God. We don't confess it to man. And now Herod's suppressed conscience, he's trying to keep the matter buried, it's awakened, it's alivened at the hearing of Jesus. That's a good thing. It really is. When the conscience is awakened, it's a great time to come back to the Lord. Because at least the conscience is not dead then. And here you see, well, Herod, right? His conscience is awakened. But as far as we know, he never repents. He never receives Christ's free offer of forgiveness and eternal life. I mean, he's even at Christ's trial and he's mocking Christ. So he never did turn away from his sin. But what we do know is we come to know why Herod put John in prison and why he killed him. And that brings us to our second point. You know why? Because the word of God was probing him. John wasn't doing miracles. He simply spoke the word. The word has its own power. Right? The Holy Spirit uses the word to convict. Yeah, to comfort. Many times to comfort, but also to convict. Yeah, probing. It's a probing word. It looks into a matter. It digs deep into the heart. And likewise here, the word of God, yeah, it probes, it digs deep, it searches the heart. John the Baptist, what was he doing? He was confronting King Herod. About what? Well, about a sin that he was committing. Don't forget, King Herod holds a public office. And officers of a country ought also be held to account for their sins. Herod was a righteous man. And he calls John to the, sorry, he calls Herod to the carpet with the word of God. And that's why John had Herod arrested, bound, and put in prison. God's word dug deep into Herod's heart. It offended Herod. It hit home. Now, why did John put him in, sorry, why did Herod put John in prison? Verse 17 tells us, because of his wife Herodias. For the sake of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, for he had married her. You see what happened is that while Herod was visiting his brother Philip, Herod became very infatuated. He became lovesick over Philip's wife. And then Philip's wife and Herod decided that they would live together. So Herod divorced his wife, and Philip's wife left him, and they started living together. They got married. Maybe they didn't get married, but they started living together anyway. And that was the issue. When John heard about this, you say, well, who's John? He's just a preacher. Who's he going to the, to the courts 
to the to the to the palaces of the king. But it didn't matter because it's about God. It's about His honor. It's about His glory. It's not about John's life. It's about God, and God and, and God through Herod spoke. It isn't right, Herod, for you to have your brother's wife. And the sense here is that John kept on reminding Herod. He wouldn't let it go. He had to continually remind Herod that he is a king makes no difference at all. King or pauper makes no difference at all because God's word applies to everybody. It's public. It has public domain. It, it applies to everyone, believer or unbeliever, because God's word is, God's word is the truth for all mankind. And Herod, I'm sorry, John also knew that. Yes, John the Baptist did not back down. You see, the Lord was keeping him faithful to Christ. John did not back down. You know, by, by the way, you notice that what John says in John chapter 3, in the Gospel of John chapter 3, he's talking about Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. Whether I lose my life makes no, doesn't make a difference. It's all about Christ and his honor and his glory because I belong to him. And so Herod heard the truth. And John understood that it's more important not to offend God. And he did not want Herod to die in his sins. He loved Herod. Understand that. He loved Herod. Because he knows that if Herod doesn't repent, where does he go? To this place called hell. It's a horrible place. John understood. He preached that. John the Baptist, he spoke kindly to Herod. But he spoke firmly. He didn't excuse himself by saying, ah, maybe the time is not quite right. Maybe I should wait for a better time. He didn't say, well, it's kind of useless because he's not going to listen to me anyway. Look, he's a king. I'm just a poor prophet. No, John didn't smooth things over. He didn't use soft words to describe the king. I said, oh, you know, he's such a great king. I better just kind of tone down a bit because look who he is. No, God comes to all people through his word. And he told the king straight. He loved him, but he told him straight. He told him the plain truth. Regardless of the consequences, Herod, it's not right. It's not right for you to have your brother's wife. Now today, we might not be before kings per se, but we do live among unbelievers, don't we, in our workplaces and our social networks. And situations arise where we need sometimes to say something. Is that true? Will we stand up for Christ? Because know that in Christ... You, like John the Baptist, you have the strength. You do have it. You have his Holy Spirit to stand on the truth and to stand for what is right. You have it. You know, the Bible says that you are also prophets. We're all called prophets. We're anointed by Christ to be prophets in his world. Not just the pastors, not just the missionaries. It's all believers. Called to confess his name. If you look at Lord's Day 12, it brings it so beautifully from the Heidelberg Catechism. Why are you called a Christian? Answer, 
because by faith I'm a member of Christ. I share in his anointing. I'm anointed. Can you imagine? Anointed. You're set apart to confess his name. You know, your life is not about you. My life is not about me. It's about Christ and confessing him. If our life is about ourselves, we're really no different than Herod, are we? We're no different. Our life is about Christ. We belong to him. Body and soul. He owns me. And you see the wonderful salvation he has won for us. A life eternal. We wouldn't want to give that up. And so by the grace of God, even having the resources like the Holy Spirit, we're able to, by the grace of God, to stand firm. Oh, we fall and fall again and again. But we're reminded, you have the strength. You stand. You confess. Yeah, so we stand in the same prophetic tradition as John, don't we? As a church in the city. (laughs) We have that prophetic tradition. We live in it. We serve in it. We're called to serve King Jesus in whatever place, whatever we do with our whole life. It was costly for John. But you know what? It's not about John. It's about Christ. John is supremely blessed. Never worry about that. What? It's a blessing to lose your head? Well, for John it was. It was a blessing because it shows that God kept him faithful to the end. It was costly for John. Herod put John in prison. Why did Herod put John in prison? Well, he was tired of his wife nattering him. Happy wife, happy life. That was his thinking. If my wife is happy, then I'm happy. And just to quiet my wife, I'll just put him in prison. There, done. Silence. I don't have to worry about my wife. Well, it's not really his wife. It's his live-in. I don't have to worry about her nattering anymore. He wanted to keep the peace. That was what, what Herod wanted to do. But she wanted to kill him. She's not happy, even with him in prison. Because you see the probing word of God also in her conscience. She's just so upset by the word of John the Baptist. Review in verse 19, Herodias held it against him, that's John, and wanted to kill him, but she could not. You know, if anything, if she lived for anything, it was for one thing, to kill the prophet, to kill the word of God. And Herod, we read here, didn't want to kill him. Why? Look at verse 20. It's really very interesting. Herod feared John. He feared John. Knowing that he was a just and holy man. And he protected him. See that? And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. We say, well, Herod is kind of a nice man. You know, he's... He's quite peaceful in all of this. But the problem is, he was afraid of John. Because he knew that what John was saying was right. It was the truth. He knew it. God's word spoke to him loud and clear. Herod knew John was not a liar. He knew John was a just and holy man. He knew that he was approved by God. He knew that Herod was an upright man sent by God to him. Whenever Herod listened to him, 
we heard that he heard him gladly. Can you imagine? Herod loved listening to John. He loved listening to him. Why might that be? Well, you think about it. Sometimes in the workplace, all you have around you are flatterers. People always say nice things, but you know they're not really telling the truth. They're just trying to manipulate or trying to work around you to try to get their way. And all of a sudden, there's this breath of fresh air. John, he just speaks plainly. He just speaks the truth. And Herod liked that. There's somebody that's real for once. There's a real person. Someone who speaks his real mind. And that's what God's word does, isn't it? It just speaks truthfully, plainly, clearly, straightforwardly. It removes all pretenses. It takes off all masks. But there's one thing, though, Herod could not do. John, I love to listen to you. I like you. You're a great man. And I'm protecting you. But there's one thing Herod could not do. He would not give up his sin. He would not give up Herodias and give her back to his brother Philip. He would not do that. And John, of course, is concerned for Herod's salvation. Because believing in Jesus also comes with repentance. And there was neither of those in Herod's life. And if he doesn't believe... Where is he going to spend eternity? In hell. Yet putting John in prison did not silence the voice of conscience. It didn't take away the guiltiness. Not even Herodias' guiltiness. People today try to remove God's word. In, yeah, today in our circles, we tend to try to remove God's word in polite ways. We try to remove it away by not hearing it, by not reading it. But it's the same thing, isn't it? We try to silence our conscience, but God sees the heart. We can't fool God. For Herodias, the way to silence the conscience for her was to kill the messenger. By the way, kill the messenger, then you're not reminded anymore, right? Kill the messenger. And that's what you see happening in all many countries today. China, India, Pakistan, Middle Eastern countries. Kill the prophets. Kill the believers. At least you're not reminded anymore. But can you get rid of the truth of God's word? Never. It's the truth for all time, for all cultures, for all the world. You can't take a poll and say it's not the truth anymore because the truth is the truth. And that leads us to the final point. Getting rid of the messenger in order to try to make the conscience not feel guilty. A beheaded prophet. Herodias is not happy. She is plotting and planning. She's waiting for that golden opportunity. And now it has come. She knows her husband is weak. He has no spine. You know what I mean by that? No spine? He has no backbone. He's a jellyfish. Right? He just does whatever his wife says. Right? He has no spine. He doesn't stand up. And we read in verse 21, it was his birthday. And Herod was so excited, he invited all the VIPs, very important persons, 
government officials, high officials from Galilee, all to a banquet. And then verse 22 says that Herodias, well, she had a daughter, by the way, not by Herod, but by Philip. And according to tradition, her name was Salome. Okay? It doesn't say that here, but tradition says that her name was Salome. So it was Herodias' daughter, not Herod's daughter. She came in and she danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him. Now what's interesting is normally a slave girl would dance, almost always. But in this case, it was a princess. Who's behind all this? The mother. Yeah. And of course Satan is working, plotting hard against the kingdom here. And you can imagine all those erotic moves on the dance floor, the suggestiveness, a half-naked girl, that must have just wooed Herod. He was probably overcome with lust for her. After all, isn't that how Herodias got Herod's attention? Oh, Herodias knows how to do things. Herod makes his move, and he says, so Salome, you ask me whatever you want. Ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And he even makes an oath. He, makes a, he swears on it. And he says, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. She goes to her mother and says, Mom, Mom, what shall I ask him? What shall I ask for? Mom responds very bluntly, you ask for the head of John the Baptist. And you see here, the plot unfolds as if Herodias planned it in every detail. Of course, God is ultimately showing his glory because he's going to show that John gives up his life for the sake of Christ. And John is honoring and glorifying God. God is the ultimate winner here. But that's also in his plan that Herodias work out her evil plan. And immediately she goes to the king saying, I desire that you give me right away on this dish the head of John the Baptist. Now what's Herod going to do? Is he going to surrender to Christ and say, Oh no, I'm not. Or is he going to give in to his wife? It's a choice. It's a matter of life or death, heaven or hell. Will he say yes or no to God's word? You see, Christ's call to follow always takes priority in the life of God's children. Always takes priority over the closest of our earthly ties, of our family, of our relatives. And here Herod is with his family and relatives. What's he going to do? And you read verse 26. King Herod became exceedingly sorrowful His grief at this moment, no doubt, was real. Was really real. And yet, Herod didn't want to refuse Herodias' daughter for two reasons. Because, well, he says, I gave an oath in the first place. So he justified justified his action because he took an oath. And the second reason is because of those who sat there with him. They heard him make the oath. You see what Herod is doing? He doesn't want to lose face. He doesn't want to lose his shame. He could have argued, you know, you know, Salome, I promised to favor you with a gift. I didn't promise to do a crime, but he didn't say that. 
He could have said, I promised you a gift, not your mother. And even so, if we make rash oaths that are sinful, the Bible provides a way out. Christ is the way out. The way of forgiveness is in Christ for those who make bad promises. But no, no, it was only excuses. Whatever justification Herod gave, it was only excuses. That's it. Just excuses. Excuses, excuses. That's all it was. Herod made his own sinful family more important in his eyes than the life of God's messenger. He made his own family members, his own relatives, his own very important guests more important than the word of God. For all his interest in John, he chose to remain in sins rather than repenting and believing. Herod made his choice. He made his choice against the word of God. Immediately. That's right away. He thought, if I'm going to sin, I'm also sin boldly. I'll just do it right away. And that's what he did. He sent someone to kill John the Baptist. He sent his executioner with a knife. Went to the prison. Came with the head of John the Baptist. I don't know how he carried it. Put it on a dish. Gave it to the girl. And the girl passed the dish over to her mother. And it was served at the banquet. What gore. What evil. King Herod serves John's head on a dish at a banquet on his birthday. No further comment is required. Mark gives no further comment except to say the disciples of John took his body, his corpse, and laid it in a tomb. Herod made his choice. John did too. He made his choice for Christ. But his choice for Christ cost him his life. And yet, he gained everything, did he not? It ushered him into the entrance of the kingdom, the the glorious kingdom, a life and forevermore. John knew he was here to glorify God. That's it. He's here to glorify God. That's why he's so blessed. That's why it was such a blessing. John was a blessing. And God blessed him. He kept him faithful. Herod, however, he continued to live for himself. He wasn't here for God or for his word. He was here for himself. He wanted his life in luxury, his beautiful palaces, his girls, his wife that he should not have. But you know what? All along he had to live with a guilty conscience. You see how this passage opens up? A guilty conscience. An unrepentant heart. Quick question. Who would you rather be like? The dead John or the living Herod? Which one? It's a big difference. The dead John is the blessing of God. The living Herod ultimately is the curse of God. Which one? I pray that all of us here, by the grace of God, and by the working of the Spirit of God, would be preferred to be like the dead John. Because that's the way of forgiveness. 
and life in Christ. And this is what honors Christ. It's about Christ. Jesus is so much the opposite of Herod, isn't he? He's a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, sheep who do not deserve it, and yet he lays down his life for them. The world needs someone so opposite of the King Herod's of the day, and that's Jesus. And you read the following verses, you notice what he what the following verses speak about? We read of a feast of the good shepherd on the green pastures, the feeding of the 5,000. That comes immediately after. And then you read about the still waters after that in the lake. What does that remind you of? Oh, there's so much comfort in Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me in the green pastures and leads me beside the still waters. It's all there. The green pastures, the food, the feasting, the shepherd. And then the water afterwards. And he stills the water. That's Christ. The cost is worth it, brothers and sisters. The cost is worth it. This, I mean, think of what, what it costs Christ. It costs Christ his life so that we may have eternal life. You know, Herod takes a life, but Jesus in love gives his life to save others. And you know what? Jesus eventually offers himself on the menu. Go back to the menu idea again. He offers himself on the menu for your salvation. Wow, shouldn't that stir us up? Shouldn't that motivate us to live for his glory out of thankfulness? That's his great love for us. Wow, a love that is so wonderful, so great, that no one could ever describe it. And rising from the dead, we may feast with him, our risen Lord and Savior, at the Lord's Supper. The supper is the feast that follows the sacrifice. He offered himself on the menu so that we may live and eat and feast again. Don't betray Christ, because it'll be far worse if you do. And you know what? There's more. By faith we see a greater feast. The Lord promises that better days are coming for his own who seek to honor and glorify him. The Apostle John later in Revelation hears the voices of a great multitude, believers who have passed on. And they're shouting and singing from the heaven. And they're saying, let us be glad and rejoice and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the difference between a gory and the glory. All glory and praise to him who gives a feast, who gives a salvation through the sacrifice of his son to all who repent, believe, and seek to honor and glorify him. Amen.